to another episode of the Wembley Way podcast. Tonight, Tom and Nick consider the best and worst. Five things in the EFL, brought to you by Sheld, but this time it's live. We preview the FA Cup fifth round, Arsenal versus Leeds in this week's match spotlight, England Youth Watch, Power Rankings, and then finally, the listeners' questions. Hello there, and welcome to Series 1, Episode 4 of the Wembley Way Podcast. Nick, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Had a good week, so yeah, I can't complain. What about you? Yeah, not too bad. Um, Spurs with a cheeky win um, over a, a slightly uh, unspectacular West Brom side, but uh, yeah, it definitely helps um, when Spurs pick up three points. Indeed, yeah. Chelsea gave me a little bit of a fright, or mainly Rudiger gave me a bit of a fright. Uh, on the on Sunday evening, um, passing the ball into his own net, which was good. But uh, <laughs> luckily, Jorginho saved the day with the, with his penalty. So um, yeah, yeah, happy all round. You might notice that we sound slightly better uh, today. Um, we've so we we had this call with uh, Alex Shields uh, when he discussed West Ham's form in episode three of the Wembley podcast, and we noticed that he um he just sounded a lot better than us. We were just I think Nick, you had some old headphones from work. I was just talking at my laptop. Uh, and we noticed that he had some headphones on. We asked what they were, and uh, we're both here now, sitting with these huge canned headphones on. Mine's all white. Um, you know, what's the word? In honour of England, um, Nick has gone for a black and orange tangoed um, um, uh, composition. Yeah, no, my, mine are in honour of um, my bank account, and they were cheaper. So, yeah, I think they were £9 cheaper than yours, actually. So <laughs> no one can see them, so it doesn't matter, does it? Well, yeah, it's not, they're now seeing it in their mind as I've painted a picture of your awful coloured headphones. But the main thing is we're investing, yeah? So we're, we're pushing this thing forward. We're getting more serious. Like, yeah. You said this is a joke to us. This is not a joke. No, never stand still. Do you know what I mean? We saw an issue, resolve the issue, yeah? Better sounding, yeah? You also may have noticed the incredible intro my uh, my brother ben put together for us um what's the commentator's name again it's peter drury peter mark that guy is probably the best commentator yeah i, I mean in in years gone by he'd always always point to sort of martin tyler andy gray type thing but martin tyler seems to have lost the plot recently um and uh yeah peter drury's definitely taken over as the number one commentator i, m- I remember his um commentary when roma beat barcelona in champions league oh yeah uh it's like um, Manolas being a, a Greek god. Uh, <laughs> so good. Absolutely epic. Yeah, it was amazing. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, I know. I think um, I said to Ben, we needed a, we needed some um, in-game commentary um, added to the intro. And I think actually uh, some of our listeners even suggested it. And uh, yeah, there's only one guy, wasn't there, for the job. Indeed, indeed. And with that, we'll start our running order for this week. And it's, like always, our best and worsts. Nick, what's your best of the week? Um, 
I'm going to go with Newcastle's performance against Southampton. Um, they beat Southampton 3-2. Um, and for those who didn't watch it, it was obviously a great game being 3-2, um, but it was a lot more eventful than even the scoreline suggests. Um, so on the 50th minute, um, well, let's say at halftime, it was 3-1 to Newcastle. Newcastle playing some lovely stuff um, and actually coming out of the cage a little bit. And the Bruce have been criticised of, of, sort of being too passive and sitting back and trying to just counter teams and, and grind out results. But they came out, they took the game to Southampton, played really well. Um, 3-1 at half-time. On the 50th minute, Jeff Hendrick uh, got sent off for a second yellow card. Um, and then in the 79th minute, um, uh, uh, Fabio Scher got injured. Scher? Scher? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, got injured and um, <laughs> uh, and they were down to nine men from the 79th minute onwards. Uh, Southampton were piling on the pressure. Um, James Ward-Prowse whipped in an unreal free kick to make it 3-2 earlier on in the game. And, and uh, yeah, but Newcastle managed to, to grind out that result and um, they showed really good spirit. I think what's, what's impressed me recently about Newcastle, they brought in um, Graham Jones as a coach uh, mm-hmm. on, at the end of um, January. Since then, they've had three games. They've won two out of three. Before that, they had no wins in 11. And, and, even even more so than the, than the results perhaps been the style as I mentioned that definitely coming out of the coming out in the games to win them a bit more um no coincidence with with St Maximum coming back as well but they've mm-hmm. got they've got the threat on the break with Callum Wilson St Maximum um Almiron they've obviously got Willikin who scored at the week uh, scored at the weekend on loan from Arsenal so they've got they've got that threat now to get people on the break and, and have those fast attacks rather than just sort of sitting in there and relying on set pieces and things like that um, I should mention also just quickly, um, Wilson got injured at the weekend, so that was that was one of the subs they had to use up, um, and so did Mankia as well. So they had two injuries and nine men um, at the end of the game. So it was, uh, yeah, very impressive performance. Can't disagree with that. Your best? Yeah. Um, so my best of the week has to be Foden's performance last night. Yeah, I mean, he's, obviously last night he started as a false nine, later switched into the right wing. He was the best player on the park, in my opinion, in City's four-one win at Anfield. And obviously had an outrage, scored an outrageous goal to top it all off. He uh, to describe the goal, um, he picks up the ball on the right hand side, running towards goal, uh, taking a couple of touches so as to stand up for the defender. He then switches the ball to the left, and with what seemed like the same fluid action, rifles a shot into the roof of the net above Allison's head. He could do nothing but fall to the ground, hoping it would swallow uh, swallow him whole. Um, the technical ability of the boy is it's unbelievable. He, he, he yeah. moves he moves like liquid. Um, and when you combine that with his pace, because he's got pace, and uh, as you showed last night, an incredible ball striking ability, there is one hell of a player there. Yeah. Um, to reference um, his growth over the last few years, Foden has been carefully managed by Pep, hasn't he? Um, when everyone was saying he should be playing more, uh, Sancho's development, for example, mm. being a stick of choice to beat Pep with over the years. Uh, but it looks like his his gradual introduction of Foden has allowed the youngster to grow into now an integral part of the set, this city side. And, I, and as you say, I imagine Southgate's England team for the summer. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a good point, actually. It's interesting because obviously we never know how he would have done if Pepper just chucked him in a couple of years ago and played him a lot more. Hmm. We don't know if that would have gone better or worse. But what, what, what it's certainly done is taken the pressure off of Foden because he's just sort of fed him in at different times at different stages. For, for small cameos here and there, but not relied on upon him. Um, to That's a luxury he, City have in general, though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was about to say, it's like they they can replace him with other players. Whereas if you're a lesser team, they they need that talent, don't they? So also quite a good side. So like, so they 
there's a there's a foundation there that Foden can come in, maybe not do so well, but the results are still there, and so no one really questions yeah. his involvement. Do you know what I mean? So it's not, yeah. it's yeah, it's, it's the whole package really. At City is geared up for this kind of situation where you can ease someone in for years, and then they're ultimately left with a top top talent. Yeah. What's your worst, Nicky? Oh, it's got to be it's got to be Mike Dean and Lee Mason uh, coming together and deciding to send off. Thomas Suchek for uh, for West Ham, yeah, absolutely, absolutely ludicrous. I mean, I know it's probably quite an obvious one to pick, and I don't like VAR or ref bashing too much on, on here. If, if we can help it, without talking about the game of football rather than the officiating of it. But um, saying that, I mean, we talk about VAR every week, but we do. <clears throat> I mean, they can't help it though; like they, they give us no option. Yes, yeah, true. Uh, anyone watching that could see it was Suchek was just trying to lift his arm over. Um, uh, Mitrovic's shoulder, yeah, and and it just caught him by accident. You could see it. His hands went straight up, straight away. He looked over to the ref to sort of say, "Oh, that what that was that was an accident." Yeah, I mean, people are saying, "Oh, VAR should look at things in real time, not slow mo," and, and they'd be able to see that it was an accident. You can see it in slow mo. Yeah, like, it doesn't matter. Like I agree, I agree with that point as a, as an aside, but that that incident alone, you could see it in slow mo. It was an accident. He didn't mean it. It was absolutely ridiculous. And yeah, you, you can criticize Mitrovic maybe and say we shouldn't have gone down, but. It, it, the corner of his elbow did catch him in the face and mm. people go down for a far less than that and, and the player doesn't get sent off. So, it's like, who are we kidding? It's not it's not Mitrovic's fault here. He does um, play a like, peculiar part in the whole event. I mean, yeah, he, I, I he agree, kind of yeah. goes down, clutches his face, but then eventually gets to his feet to to uh, defend uh, Suchek. It is weird. It's, it's strange, but it's not the reason he was sent off. No, like, no, no. like I said, so many players rolled around on the floor after just being grazed and and like or hardly any contact or no, no contact, and yeah. and it's not a red card. It doesn't mean it's a red card. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a bit weird for Mitrovic, but let's move on. But for me, I can't decide who who's who's more at fault. Is it Mike Dean or Lee Mason? Because when we first saw the replay, like straight away, I thought, well, that that's not going to get referred to to um or by VAR to Mike Dean mm. as the ref. You just think the VIA would look at that and say, no, no, nothing to do here. Carry on. Mm. But yeah, they said to Mike Dean, obviously they, they wanted him to look at the monitor, which means they were, they were obviously recommending that it was probably going to be a red card. Mm. So straight away you think, well, Lee Mason, what, what the hell is he doing? And then obviously Mike Dean goes over, looks at it and then agrees with them and decides that it should be a red card. And I just can't figure out which decision is worse, to be honest. I mean, and then, and then even to make it even worse, Mike Dean sort of dishing out the red card, and and but then sort of looking apologetic about it. Right, that's this is my just, point. I think I tweeted so about it. Yeah, just, so yeah, strange. He seems to be saying, um, "Look, I know you didn't mean it, but I've got to send you off." I was like, "Well, no. If you didn't mean it, don't fucking send him off. It's it's outrageous. Yeah. It's, yeah. These rules aren't supposed to bind the def- the, uh, the hands of the referee. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and he's almost yeah. blaming the rules. It's so for, for me, counterproductive. This is, this is one one of the issues with VAR is that it's VAR interference with matters that don't require it. Yeah. That, that's all that was. Like no one would have ever batted an eyelid that that instant when. They replayed it. They went, oh, that, that looked a bit, uh, bit of a, like a bit of a mistake from from Suchek. He didn't mean it, but it's mm. fine. Carry on. And they took the free kick. I mean, the only thing I would say is, that, thank God, it didn't affect the result. And now they've seen they've seen the light, and and it's, the red card's been overturned. So, like, it, it hasn't actually impacted the game of football too much. It was right at the last minute, so yeah. you yeah. sort of move on and, and think well, they just cocked up there. And, and I know that Mike Dean has um, voluntarily, in inverted commas, uh, um, offered to not referee this weekend. So. Um, I didn't know that. Wow! Interesting, interesting decision from him. Um, well, I would say though he has had death threats and things like that. So obviously that's a, a mile step too far. Would would never. Uh, no. Never, 
advocate anything like that. But um, absolutely not. Yeah, disgraceful decision all around. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your worst? So I'm going to go for um, Southampton's nine nil loss at Old Trafford. <laughs> yeah. Um, put simply, how can a Premier League side and a relatively good one at that allow this to happen? I mean, I you have to look at Hassan Hoot's tactics. Um, yes, the early sending off doesn't help. Nor did going down to nine men at 86 minutes after which United did score two. But look, at four or five nil, the manager has to start thinking about damage limitation because a big loss can negatively affect the team's confidence going into future games. Um, Hassan Hoot has to shut up shop or at least try harder to do so. Uh, in order to minimise the impact on his side and preserve some degree of form. I mean, at any point at six, seven, eight nil, you've got to be thinking, right, let's definitely not concede another. Let's get compact, have a good last few minutes, something to build on from next week. for next week. Um, you know, no pressing, sit down, uh, sit deep, uh, win your battles, that sort of thing. Um, I disagree and- with you. Oh, go on. And the reason I disagree is because you said at 4 5 nil, you, you should look to shut up shop. Mate, they should be doing that at nil nil and one nil. With 10 men against Man United away, True. they should be learning their lessons from the previous 9 nil defeat against Le- uh, Leicester they had last season. Yep. The previous, was it 6 1? No, what was the score against Spurs earlier on the season where Spurs just killed them on the break every time? 7 2. And it's very similar in a way that the same action kept occurring whereby. Um, Came a drop deep. Obviously, he has now now he does he does tend to do a lot, but he would just then turn up, turn around, see Sun over the shoulder, and play that same pass over and over again, and it led to uh, Sun scoring four that day. Yeah, yeah, and and that's what I mean. I just think there's no he has his tactics and he's stubborn and he sticks to them. But when you lose a man against a good team like Man United, who are going to move the ball from side to side and move it quickly with dangerous players who can score at any moment, you just you have to change your tactics. And I, I saw it, and they went down to ten men, one maybe two nil down. And they were carrying around doing the same thing, pressing. And, and and I said to a few others over WhatsApp at the time, I said, "This is gonna, this is gonna be an absolute mauling because Southampton aren't learning; they're just pressing." So for it's me, it's outrageous, that one, that isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's, as I say, I mean, it's it's, the, it's Hassan Hüttel's second nine nil loss in the last couple of seasons. I mean, I like Hassan Hüttel, mm, but this same. trend of the nine goal batterings makes me question mm. his ability or willingness to make changes mid match and not just stick to his progressive philosophy of I don't know, neat and tidy attacking football. Um, yeah. Obviously, he's been linked. I mean, I've been looking at him quite a bit because he's been linked to the Spurs job to re- replace uh, Mourinho. You know, think Poch 2.0, right? But not for me. It's still too naive. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, Pep made that shift at half time against Liverpool to play more of a 4 4 2. Like, people would, people would say, oh, well, the best managers don't have to adapt. They do. The best managers do adapt. Like, yep. Pep, Klopp, Mourinho, they were, <clears throat> they've all adapted over their careers. Um, so yeah, I, I, that one's on the manager for me, but I do like him as manager, but that, that's on him. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And that's the best and worst of the week. Thanks, Tom. I'm reporting live from the Tottenham Hotspur training ground, hoping to have a quick word with Jose Mourinho. In fact, here he comes now. Jose, hi. Ben from the Wembley Way podcast. What is this? Uh, Wembley Way podcast. What? What is this? It's just, it's just this new football-related podcast, uh, basically. Uh, my brother um, uh, founded it, actually, uh, with, with our mate. Um, it's, it's actually really good. Um, I mean, it's, it's only like a few episodes in. So what? Why? Have you never heard of a podcast? You know, I want to be polite with you, and, and I prefer not to, to answer to the question. Okay, why not? Because... Your question is really a, a bad question. 
bad question, is it? I mean, it's a simple question. Simple question, looking for a simple answer, yes or no. Do you know what a podcast is? We have a question because it looks like is is my fault. No, it's no one's fault. It's my problem. Don't worry it's about it. A podcast is basically just a digital audio file made available on the internet for downloading to a computer or mobile device, typically available as a series, which can be received by subscribers automatically. Oh, you know what? If you get out the gum, just forget about it. We'll leave it. Because I was rude? Yes, because you were rude. But I was rude to an idiot. Oh, it makes it all right, does it? Anyway, we can't use any of this. Actually, you know what? We will use this. We'll show the world how special you really are. And not just using our podcast, oh no. I'll make sure we post it on our Twitter account too. To all our followers. All 35 of them. Then we'll see who the real idiot is. What? Twitter? What is this? It's just like a social media platform. Oh, you know what? We're not going for this again. I've been Ben Allison reporting for the Wembley Way podcast. Back to the studio time. Ben Allison there, reporting live from the Tottenham Hotspur. St- I don't know how he's done that. He- no, it's quite a scoop, isn't it? Especially with no no reporting background or anything. It's uh, yeah, pretty amazing. Not ideal that he falls out with his subject, though. No, no, we could. Yeah, he might get sacked. Well, I guess it's up to us, really, isn't it? Well, yeah, we employ him, I suppose. He does with the jingles, though. Yeah, he does make a good jingle. Yeah, we'll, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. We'll let him off. Uh, anyway, it's that time of the week. Five things in the ear fell. And as the jingle says, it's time for Five Things in the EFL. Today, though, we've got Tom Sheldon live. Tom, how you doing? Yeah, I'm good. How are you guys? Good. Thank you very much. Yeah, we're good. We're good. Got the usual five things. We'll start with four headlines. I'll go through those for you now, give you a bit of a taste of what we're going to be talking about. Um, the first one is lost their cherry. Go on. Um, the <laughs> second one, the second one is immaculate Ivan. Yep. Number three, brewers intoxicate tigers. <laughs> and then number four is Wright brothers or Chuckle brothers. Okay. Okay. <laughs> And then number five is just ones to watch. You got two for one in that one, combined. Cool, cool. exciting. All right, Very let's start exciting. Top then was it was it lost their cherry? Yeah, um, you two might be able to have some input in this because they were a Premier League club last year. I know you're um, not. You don't know the EFL that well, do you? So um, that's why you're you, here, mate. If we're, if we're honest, gives you a chance to have uh, some input. Um, so last week, Bournemouth sacked manager and club legend Jason Tindall. Uh, following the 2-1 home defeat by Sheffield Wednesday, he leaves the club after six months in charge of the manager's role with the club in sixth and ends a 22-year association with the club as player, as coach, and coach, sorry. Um, so I think it's a bit contentious, this. It shows their um, the brutal nature of football, I think. Uh, mm. Obviously, there's no sentiment anymore. Bournemouth are desperate to bounce back to the Premier League at the first attempt. But they... it feels a little bit like, unlike Bournemouth, given they stuck with Howe for so long, and, and obviously Tinder has been there for so long. But um, as you said, it seems it's quite brutal and stinks of them just really pushing for promotion and, and sort of almost needing to be promoted again. Um, who, who do, any favourites in, in, to, to replace Tindall? 
Yeah, um, your two favourites actually, Nick. JT, John Terry and Frank Lampard are the two favourites at the moment. Mm-hmm. What do you think of that? Um, I can I can see JT going there. I can see Terry going there. Lampard, it feels like sort of going back to where he was at Derby, which is a little bit... Uh, I feel like he would sort of he might hold out for a prem job or something like that, or, or and, someone. And he'd, been he'd um he'd need those loans as well, wouldn't he, from Chelsea to get um, yeah. one with anywhere near the playoff picture. We've got enough youngsters on the stock anyway. But, uh, it's true. And with John yeah. John Terry, it feels like not experienced again. What's the point? Go for someone experienced. But uh, that's your first one. Cool. How do you like that? Love it. Um, immaculate Ivan. Uh, do you know much about Ivan Tony? I know he was. In the League Cup semi-final a couple of weeks ago, Tom Spurs. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No lows about him. Remind me though. Yeah. <laughs> did he get the disallowed goal in that game when they got the lines out? Yeah, he did. Ah, uh, yeah, when his knee was offside. Hard, hard done by. Mm. So offside, offside, isn't it? <laughs> so, <laughs> I mentioned the juggernaut that's Brentford last week, and Tony's one of the key reasons behind that. So last season it, for Peterborough. He got 24 in League One. Now in Championship, in a high division, top of the league, but obviously he's in a better team, better service. He's already got 22 in 27 league games, which is pretty, That's pretty unreal. Isn't it? Mm. Mm-hmm. To put that into perspective, Ollie Watkins got 25 all of last year for Brentford. And look how he's taken to the Premier League. Mm. So didn't, they I'm beat, think... didn't they beat Wickham like 7-2 the other day or something? Yep. Yeah. Did, you, did you just um, say that, or have I just? No, you didn't just say it, did you? That was a, that was a bit say, of Tom knowledge, wasn't it? You know, you know some EFL knowledge, yes. Well, do you know what I mean, whatever. I mean, I'm going to take your job. Do we even um, need Sheld? You don't need me, no. But we won't tell anyone. We won't tell anyone that, even though we just have. Yeah. Do you think there's any prem clubs who might take a gamble on him in the summer? Why not? I mean, he's doing the business. Like, look at Watkins last year, and look how Watkins doing for Villa this year. Mm. If he gets a service, he scores normally. So yeah, well, I was going to say West Ham. Maybe it'd be interesting to see what West Ham followers think of that. But yeah, um, see, Antonio's doing really well, but he's not. He's not a natural striker. Or, or wait, we're talking about Prem- been a natural striker, yeah. And it's interesting to see how he will do long term, especially with injuries and stuff. So yeah, I, I could see him fitting in there. But this is Premier League stuff here. This is dangerous boundaries for me. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Um, I'll leave that to you and Tom to decide. Got him. Number three, um, Brewers in Toxgate Tigers. This is my performance of the week, actually. Um, might make that a feature. Yeah. Uh, Burton Albion are the Brewers, if anyone knew that already. You can't make your own features, Tom. No. <laughs> if I'm being totally on. No, go on. Try and stop me. <laughs> um, Burton beat Hull 1-0 at the weekend, thanks to a last-minute winner. So at the start of play, Burton were 24th and Hull were 1st. Burton had three wins all season, um, and this was their first league game in three weeks. Their starting lineup contained nine January signings, <laughs> which is pretty incredible. And do you know who the manager is there? Either of you two? Yeah, it's now Jimmy Floyd's back there, isn't he? Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. Yeah. Back for a second stint. Yeah. Um, so he's got a pretty impressive stat. At Burton in 50 games, he's got 21 clean sheets. Yeah. So um, I th- he should make them a lot more solid and harder to beat. They're five points off safety still, but uh, they've got a fighting chance, I think. Hmm. Yeah, well, he had a good record there last time. And then he left. Did he leave for QPR after he got them promoted? 
I think so, yeah. I think, I think he contentiously left QPR and then didn't do very well there or Northampton after. So, yeah, it's a good match for him and probably Burton, to be fair, because they know he's 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 good there. And, and uh, I think he's, he said before that his family's got a bit of affinity with the club since last time. So, yeah, be interesting to see if he can keep him up. Watch this space. Mm. Um, number four, Wright Brothers or Chuckle Brothers? Okay, stick with me on this one. So you might have seen last month, Mark Wright, TV personality. Oh, yeah. Joined Crawley Town at the ripe age of 34. <laughs> yeah, no, I, didn't, I didn't know that he was uh, as deep in the Spurs youth setup as he was. Apparently, he said he was playing in, in the reserves, held a cost, uh, Postiga. Uh, really? Oh, yeah. Um, and then apparently he went on, I mean, I don't want to steal your thunder, but I saw a, a video on Twitter, so... That's as much as my knowledge goes, but I'm going to expend it right now. So then, yeah, he went on holiday, found alcohol, he said, and he, yeah, he come back like stone heavier and never really recovered. So he, he blames it on this, yeah, this one uh, summer binge. Yeah. But yes, yeah, crazy. I mean, it's worked out for him still, isn't it? So yeah, in the end. So in this game at the weekend, he's joined Crawley. Crawley lost 3-1 at home to Harrogate. That doesn't tell half the story. Um, so Mark Wright is making his first ever EFL start. Wow. His brother Josh on loan from Leighton Orient last month he joined, also starting. Calamitous for both. <laughs> Three... didn't, he get, didn't he get hooked at half time? What are you doing? You're stealing my lines. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. So so he got taken up at half time? Yeah, and Brother Josh gave away the penalty for a second goal. No way. <laughs> so basically, it's going to be interesting to see how to come back from this. I love it. Right, brothers or Charcoal Brothers. Brilliant. Oh, you could say it went answer? wrong. Uh, oh, for the rights. Good. So final. That surely um, that should have been your headline, Tom. It went wrong. For, all wrong for the rights. Let's move on. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> Next time, maybe if they do it again next time. Um, they won't so... be next time at this rate, mate. <clears throat> <laughs> so, final section ones to watch is two here for you. So, have either of you heard of Luke Jeffcott before, Plymouth Argyle striker? No, I haven't. You can be honest. No. no. Okay. So when when Plymouth score, it's usually him. Uh, so he's a twenty-year-old striker. He scored twice again at the weekend at Pompey. So some stats for you this season. He's got 16 and 22 now, eight in his last eight. He's got 25 in 51 Argyle appearances. So everyone in two, impressive stuff. Mm. So a bit about him. He's got the striker's in- instinct, right place at the right time. Bit of a Thomas Muller, I'd say. Annoying, annoyingly always there. Fair. And this is, this is a silly stat. 14-1 touch finishes this season. God, so is the, is, the, is the league two Nikita Jelovic? You could say that. You could say that indeed. Um, so he's Welsh, though, unfortunately. Uh, for England, obviously. could be a shout for the, for their um, Euro squad in the summer. Yeah, has he had any? Has he had a look in at all? Do you know? Not yet, I don't think. But um, maybe under twenty ones. Yeah, but I think he'll certainly be playing Championship football next year. Yeah. Uh, you said you had a two for one. Who, who's the next one? Um, another player you probably wouldn't have heard of, Callum Styles of Barnsley. Certainly not. No. Tom, have you no, heard of him? No, but, but you're a Barnsley fan, right? So you, you must know like loads about this guy. 
Yeah, I am unfortunately a Barnsley fan, so I probably shouldn't be drawing attention to him. Otherwise, he's going to be next to me because everyone listens to this podcast. Um, so to sum him up, his nickname is the Berry Baggio. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so 20-year-old centre mid, but he's been playing left wing back this season. Versatile. Um, he has a lot of flair, carries ball past people, technically, technically gifted, strong in the tackle, great strike, could go on. Um, three goals from left wing back this season, all amazing strikes if you want to look him up. Is he left-footed? Yeah, very left-footed. Um, so he scored one of the goals that kept us up on the last day of the season away at Brentford. Um, it's pretty dramatic, that game. Hmm. And Brentford were linked in January. So I think in the summer, unfortunately, he'll be going to probably a top championship club or maybe low league, Premier League club. Hmm. You've got form for that, haven't you? Because I know people might know this, but Barnsley have had a few sort of younger players, either permanent or alone, that have gone on to do bigger things, haven't they? Uh, yeah, um, I think you know John Stones, don't you, quite well? Both oh, John Stones, well, now, yeah, this season really uh, coming through as mm-hmm. a, yeah. a top, top defender. Um, another of our youth products, Mason Holgate. Yeah. Everton. Yep. yep. So um, I'm thinking maybe Barnsley got an FA Cup game coming up that uh, on Thursday, maybe Styles can show what he can do on BBC One. He might even show his own style. Yep. You can cut that out or. Uh... <laughs> 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 so I think that concludes uh, our first ever live five things in the EFL. How do you think it went, Sheld? Could have done better, but um, I'll reflect on it and you know come back stronger. It couldn't <laughs> be any worse, could it, Tommy? All right then, cheers. Five things in the EFL. Five things in the EFL. Five things. You definitely smashed it. And there you go. Five things in the EFL by the Wembley Way teammate, Tom Sheldon, who is still with us. What? For, oh, yeah. For the uh, an FA Cup fifth round preview feature. Um, the first being, I think you alluded to it in the, in the fifth headline, um, Barnsley versus Chelsea this Thursday. It's a big yeah. one, isn't it? Yeah, You've very been big. Barnsley, me, Chelsea. We've, we've had this before. I've got, I got a little fun fact for you, right? Barnsley have won both of their FA Cup meetings with Chelsea, winning 4-0 in the third round in 1989, uh, but more recently, 1-0 in the quarterfinal in uh, 2008. And do we remember that one, Tom Sheldon? We do very well. Where were you, where you watched, when you watched that match, Nick? Uh, I was in your lounge, in your living room, watching it with you. Yeah, I think you cried. <laughs> I remember, remember you had braces at the time, so you definitely cried. <laughs> yeah, show my age. Very particular um, memory there of yeah. the braces. Yeah. There's a few other memories from that, though. We won't go into it. Um, no. Yeah, I, I remember Cudicini going up for the... Uh, it was Cudicini in goal, wasn't it? Going up for the, the mm-hmm. punch uh, with your striker, wasn't it? And he beat him to do, it. Do you remember the striker's name? Surely it's I, rolls I, I, off the I tongue. Do. It's haunted in my mind, but I can't, I'm not going to attempt to pronounce it. Coyote Odejai. Odejai, that was it. Yeah, yeah we, we beat actually beat Liverpool in the round before that, and then we go and lose to Cardiff in the semi-finals. So. <laughs> That's mad. But um, we've had a we've had a postponement at the weekend, so we're going to be fresh for the game. So it might make might make us favourites actually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it'd be interesting to see what we did because obviously Tuchel's had a little bit of a good run, you could say, since he's come in and he's he's 
on the whole stuck with quite a consistent um, back three, back five and two centre midfielders and he sort of changed around the front three really. So it'd be interesting to see whether he does that or he, or he gives the opportunity to for some other players to, sh- to show their hand and, uh, and and obviously rest everyone. So yeah, well, we'll um, we played you in the League Cup at the start of the season yeah. at Stamford Bridge. That was um, a bit humiliating. 6-0. Yeah. 6-0. Havertz got a hat trick, didn't he? <laughs> he did, yeah. He, he showed up on that game. Mm. Uh, yeah, hasn't added hasn't added many goals since, but no. we gave you a couple of scares before you actually started scoring. So you never know. We could yeah. maybe score a goal this time at least. <laughs> maybe. Hey, what's your prediction? Um, three 0 Chelsea. Yeah. Not one. Yes. Not an FA Cup purist. Yeah, that um, seems fair. That seems fair. What about you? Uh, yeah, I think I think it'll be sort of we'll control the game again, and it'll be the case of can we score? So I'll, I'll go I'll go to two nil, and, and we'll sit back for the, the the rest of the game once we've got the two goal lead. Yeah, um, but you never know; it's the FA Cup. Anything can happen. You can magic of the cup, and on the magic of the cup, there's a second FA Cup match that we want to preview as part of this feature. That's Swansea versus Man City. Swansea playing really well at the moment, third in the championship, unbeaten in ten. Winning eight games in the process. Uh, yeah, um, they're very hard to beat. They don't concede many goals. City will probably wear them down eventually. I reckon it'll be close. I can see a one-nil win maybe for City. Mm. Um, uh, again, it, 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 we see we see if City rotate quite a lot and, and or whether they stick with the, their sort of trusted Pep's trusted team at the moment. But as you said, Swansea are playing really well, and uh, with Mark Gurhey spear, spearheading their uh, defence. Who's he? As such, uh, Chelsea Loney. You mentioned him last week in your five things. Um, if and they got my fa- they got my favourite Connor Connor Hurahan. So yeah, indeed, he's, on, he's there from Villa now, isn't he? Yeah, um, they p- should be a good game. Actually, they both play the ball on the floor how it's supposed to be played. Um, any predictions, yeah. Tom? From you? Um, I think City will come away with this one unscathed. I'm thinking uh, probably a four nil. 3-0. Let's go for 3-0 away win for City. The champions elect. Nick, what's your prediction for Swansea City? Um, oh, let's, let's have a bit of fun. I'm going to go with an upset. I'm going to go uh, 2-1 Swansea. I like Steve Cooper. He's doing a good job there and he's playing quite a lot of England youngsters. So, yeah, let's, let's go with that. 2-1 Swansea. And there you go. That's it. That's our FA Cup fifth round preview. Thanks, Sheld. Uh, thanks very much for coming on, Sheld. Cheers, guys. I look forward to listening to the rest of the pod. Thank you very much. That's our Wembley Way teammate, Tom Sheldon. See you later, buddy. See you later. Cheers, man. Bye-bye. And now, as we continue to look forward uh, into next week, uh, we just spoke about the FA Cup fifth round, and now we're speaking about the EPL in our match spotlight. About uh, uh, next week, then, we've got some good matches um, coming up. We've got uh, Spurs City, Leicester Liverpool, all of which we've covered quite a bit um, in our our first... uh, four episodes, uh, three episodes rather. Um, so instead, we're going to talk about 10th versus 11th. Battle for the top half. Uh, it's Arsenal versus Leeds United. Mm. It'd be an interesting game, this. Um, as you said, we've covered the other teams quite a lot in, in recent uh, episodes. So it's good to focus on a couple of teams we haven't maybe covered as much. Uh, Arsenal sets up really um, really compact under Arteta, um, even against Aston Villa, as we saw the other day, that they're still they're still quite hard to break down um, as a team, and they get behind the ball well in their shape. Leeds tear that to bits. 
yeah. in terms of when they play teams, they go man to man and they run all over the pitch and it, it just causes havoc with any team with shape. I mean, they've, they've done it to a couple of teams. I can't remember off the top of my head. I think one, one was Crystal Palace earlier on the season where Palace are a compact team who like to sit in deep um, in their sort of in their close blocks and then catch teams on the break. And they just, they just absolutely rip them to bits. So it will be really interesting because there's a risk if Arsenal don't play the game right uh, and don't run as much as Leeds do, that that, that could happen again. And uh, and Arsenal could be seeing themselves um, being dragged back into that relegation battle. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think Tierney and um, Partey. Uh, have I pronounced both of those wrong? Yeah, no, that's all right. Mate. Yeah, uh, both. Yeah, yeah Tierney and Partey, both yeah. major doubts um, as well. Yeah. So which won't help. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously Partey being defensive midfielder-ish, Tierney there left back. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think uh, they may be struggling, um, as you say, to put up with uh, the ex- expansive nature of Leeds United's play, um, managed by Belsa. Um, I think, I, I agree with you. I think they're going to struggle, and I think. If it could, I th- this is what I think is going to happen, right? I think Leeds are going to score. I think Arsenal, uh, Leeds are going to score first. Arsenal equalise, um, after which Leeds will respond. Arsenal will then be uh, um, pushing for, for an equaliser and uh, maybe chucking too many bodies forward, in which case Leeds will rip them apart late into the second half and it'll be like a 3-1, maybe even 4-1 win for Leeds. <laughs> emphatic, emphatic. Yeah, I think I think for me, as I mentioned a minute ago, I think it would depend on who who again can Arsenal match the running that Leeds do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think on Arsenal's side, in that sense, they do have that the energy from some of the younger players like Smith Rowe um, runs a lot, Saka mm-hmm. runs a lot. So if they can get those players working um, as they usually do, mm-hmm. um, and they're clinical with their chances, they could beat them because we see Leeds give up a lot of chances. So so if if the if Arsenal can be clinical with those, they can punish Leeds. But um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I think a Leeds win as well. To be honest, um, what's your prediction? I mean, you, you've, your prediction has been quite good this week. We've got this prediction thing going on on Twitter, and I was, I think, sixteen eight up after a couple mm. of rounds. Um, so mm. you're, you're certainly uh, catching me up. Um, what's your prediction for this one? Well, what did you go with? It was four one in the end or three one? Oh, oh, good point. Um, it's like, oh, well, I can go the same with you, but that's just boring. For the, I think for the listen, I'm going to do 3-1, I think. 4-1, maybe the OTC. Yeah, okay. Um, uh, yeah, I think this is going to be a big test for Arteta. I'm going to... I'm going to be... Contra- no, I'm not. I'm going to go... I'm going to go 2-0 leads. Pretty much the same I, score, then. Actually, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> I'm going to mix it up. I'm going to go two all. Yeah. Draw. Yeah, because, I mean, Leeds, they need goals as well, don't exactly, they? So yeah. yeah, I'm going to go two all. All righty. And that's your match spotlight. Leading me on to um, the England half of the uh, the podcast. It's England Youth Watch. Um, in which we are discussing Dortmund's number 22, the 17-year-old child prodigy, Jude Bellingham. Yeah, interesting one, Jude Bellingham. Obviously, thrust into the limelight at such a young age with his big money move to the Dortmund. Um, 
Birmingham retiring his shirt number, which was a bit mad. Yeah, um, isn't it because uh, he, he made them like twenty? Is it twenty five million? And it yeah, like yeah, kept them so afloat. Much money. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I mean, you would expect a shirt number to be to be retired based on footballing reasons, really, wouldn't you? I know he was. He was obviously it's quite a sad state of affairs, really. That is something that's that is happening yeah, now in football, yeah. isn't it? Exactly, yeah. and yeah. and like they're, they're sort of almost acting like it's his it's his doing that he's worth that much money, or actually they're the ones who developed him, so it should be ah, interesting himself, take, really. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, obviously, as I said, thrust onto the scene, big money move uh, to to a big club in Dortmund, um, and then obviously just after that, he got got his England call up and played uh, played played a few minutes, didn't he, mm-hmm. um, under Southgate. Uh, I think it's good for him that he's gone to Germany in the sense that he'll get minutes, he'll get more minutes in, uh, for Dortmund in the, in a top European league and the Champions League than he would do for a top um, English club. The pressure's off a little bit. He doesn't have that media, English media circus that's always mm. surrounding young players and putting the pressure on them. So I think that'd be really useful when we've seen the benefit that Sancho's had out there playing. Um, this season, he, he hasn't played as much as maybe he, he would have hoped although they did change managers and the new manager has played him a little bit more so um for me it is very early being 17 years old um he's obviously impressing and playing in the bundesliga and 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 i think he made four starts in the champions league out of six this season so yeah, far. He's a, apparently he's a, in the bundesliga he's appeared in 16 of uh yeah, dortmund's 20 league games yeah. so far this season claiming yeah. two assists only nine starts out of those to be fair but sure um, yeah, I, I mean, for me, it's too early for world uh, for uh, Euros talk, um, but he's obviously got a big future in England, and um, and I think Southgate and England managers always show their hand a little bit when they pick players who you wouldn't really expect them to be picked based on form, but they bring them into the setup as a bit of an introductory. Mm-hmm. Always shows their plans for the future, and he brought him in at a stage where he could have picked someone like Madison, who I don't think made the squad that time, mm-hmm. but he's obviously showing his plans for the future and his intent to pick Bellingham in the future. So yeah. I, I don't think he's going to be one of those surprise, um, surprise packages for the, for the Euros. Um, no, I think we've got enough in that, in those positions to, to, to not warrant that, but um, definitely in the future, he'll, he'll be, a, be an England player. Do you think, I mean, I've, you do see it a lot though, when uh, players are brought in so young, like I remember, I remember the Spurs player, John Boztok at 17 was like, <laughs> graced as like, you know, this the next uh, the child prodigy um but um that early introduction sometimes go, goes to their head and it actually ends up stunting their growth um mm. i don't know um what jude is like um and if it is stunting his growth i mean he's playing quite a bit so that yeah. you know and sometimes they get introduced as, to, uh, as a token gesture and that's about it then yeah. it might it might um almost like boost their ego but then they're back in the uh, the youth setup um Big, you know, what's the word? Like giving it large, yeah. um, and there's not actually any any foundation to to build upon. Uh, whereas it is playing with, with, you know, with the senior side. You can only imagine trains with the senior side. So mm-hmm. maybe maybe this doesn't apply to Bellingham. Um, it's interesting on that. Actually, um, something that sprung to mind is that for me, I don't I don't think that will happen because Dortmund clearly have an intent to play him. They've obviously yeah. paid a lot of money, um, especially from from their budgets for mm-hmm. him, which means that. Their model is to sell him on at some point for more mm-hmm. money, a lot more money. Um, so they've got their, they have an incentive and an intent to play him. Mm-hmm. He's seventeen, and I always find with 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 youngsters anywhere between the ages of seventeen to twenty, if they're playing regularly at a decent level, a senior level, they will kick on so much more. I mean, I can think of countless youth players who who've looked good as a seventeen, eighteen year old, and then they've had bad loan spells or bad periods in teams where they just haven't played the minutes. 
for sort of three seasons and then their growth is just completely stunted. Look at Cole Capitas. Um, yeah. didn't play um, senior football for three seasons. Um, mm. You know, at the start of that was kind of winning World Cups of the England under, was it under 20s side? Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, he's 23 and hadn't really kicked the ball um, in, in the men's game. Um, yeah. Since playing a lot more Southampton, he's looking like a, a real Premier League player, really. All right, then that's uh, England Youth Watch. Um, and sticking to our, our focus on the national side, it, um, we're going to now look at the power rankings. Hayley told me I'm not allowed to explain what the power rankings is anymore because everyone knows. <laughs> well, I was like, saying that, I've, I've had a question on someone and, and, and they, they asked me privately, I said, well, how does the power rankings work? What's like the algorithms behind them? And I said, no, they did not. No, 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 no. This is just me and Tom <laughs> saying who's played well this week and pushing them up a bit, and who doesn't play well and bring them down. So this is you texting me on a this is you texting me on a on a Monday lunchtime with the latest power rankings and me going over to the website and just editing it by hand. Exactly. So if anyone else thinks out there that there's a, a sophisticated method behind this, no, this is just us and our opinions uh, and moving people up and down. Um, but but we're going to run with it and uh, and we like it. So we hope you yeah. do too. Yeah, exactly that. And you can check it, uh, the power rankings on uh, the Wembley Way website at thewembleyway.com. Um, we have got a question, actually, which is um, England national squad related. Um, it's from Paolo Di Canrio at Rio Hoy. Hoy? Yeah. yeah. Um, which play is most overlooked by Southgate forward slash England now that Mark Noble is no longer the correct answer? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Mark Noble. Was, yeah, <laughs> West Ham fans used to hammer on about that every England squad, wasn't it? Why does he not get a look in? Oh, yeah. Um, as an aside, one thing about Mark Noble, I think he's been a great player for West Ham uh, mm-hmm. over the years. But one thing that's really annoying me at the moment is when he, ke- he keeps getting brought on for West Ham and he goes straight over to Rice and takes the armband off him. Like, what's that about? Like, what, why are you so power hungry that you just have to have this armband on you? Like, we know everyone knows you're a club captain, mate. It's not as if, like, He's, he's on the bench for one game and he wants to come back and take that role. Like Rice has been doing it well enough now for about 18 months. So mm-hmm. that's sort of leave him alone and just sort of take your role as a sub now. But anyway, off of Martin Noble. Um, yeah, interesting one. I think I think before this season, you'd probably say someone like Grealish is, has probably been overlooked. Yeah, I mean, he was a bit, who would have been mine about, what, six months ago, right? Yeah, exactly. But obviously he's now had a look in under Southgate. Um, uh, so you can't really say that anymore. I think... Probably the obvious obvious answer is Madison, mm-hmm. um, given that he's been playing at even higher level this season and the end of last season. But yeah. for a couple of years now, for Leicester's been playing at a high level, and for whatever reason, um, Southgate hasn't really fancied him. I mean, that might be down to shape. Um, he doesn't like to play with number ten too often, and that's exactly what Madison is. But I think you've, you have to say there's not many people playing better and at a higher level than Madison has been and been overlooked so many times for the England squad. So I'd, I'd probably say Madison. Yeah, I actually just, I actually agree rather with you. Um, I don't, and there's not many other names I can think of, if I'm being honest. Um, mm. I mean, you know, and Foden played in the, in the most recent competitive fixture for England yeah. and he scored, um, he played really well and scored. I think prior to that with his, um, I know, I know he, he didn't get included in one of the squads because of the, uh, Icelandic yeah. ventures of mm. the young man, but I would I would have suggested even Foden was undervalued by Southgate, yeah. and yeah. I, I think I fear that he still is, and especially with what he showed um, 
the other night, which I just I just explained in my in my best of the week. Uh, I think he's deserving of being one of the top players in this side now. Like um, it's Kane, it's Sterling, um, it's 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 Foden. You know yeah. what I mean? I think yeah. I think it's that he's that important a piece for me yeah. um, going into the summer. And I just I don't know if um, Southgate agrees. He loves yeah. Mount, and we can't play all these players. Mm. Um, so I mean, yeah, he's not he's certainly not overlooking Foden, but is he undervaluing him? Is what I I, I worry yeah. about. Yeah, perhaps. No, good question though. Yeah, um, it really was. So regarding the power rankings, then uh, Nick, who are the uh, movers and shakers this week? So on the up, um, again, we've just spoken about him. Madison, I think, is is continuing to play very well. Um, I, I'd say he's he's. He's certainly pushing for a, for a spot now. I know we can't have all of these players, as we said. But yeah. He, he's he's got to be he's got to be right on the line. Um, I think Shaw has been playing very well at left back for United. Um, kept Alex Tellers out of the team. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously the defence was a little bit leaky uh, against Everton three all, but um, we'll come to that I guess. But yeah, Shaw definitely on the up. Mings still impressing. I know some people aren't necessarily convinced with him as a player, but doing so well at Villa. Um, another clean sheet at the weekend. Um, and then the two um, of Foden and Mount, I think Foden, as, you, as you've described in your best of the week, unbelievable performance um, over the last few months, but but also at the weekend. Uh, and Mount, after being sort of left out of the first lineup of Thomas Tuchel, has started every game since, um, despite all players around him being rotated in those attacking positions, and obviously scored our, our opener against um, Sheffield United on Sunday. So. So those are those are on the up for me. I think I've got three for the down. I'd mm. like to see hear your opinion on these. Yeah. Um Eric Dyer on the down. Yeah, um, I mean he was hooked um out of the side um yeah. against West Brom. Um yeah, yeah mistake ridden in the previous couple of games. No, so I agree with Dyer, yeah. Dyer. Um Maguire. Um he's been good this season, um, but he he didn't have a great game against Everton, thought Cover Lewin did really well against him. Um, and there was a lot of people blaming De Gea for the for the equalisers not not being brave enough, mm-hmm. um, which is true, very true. But um, Maguire was about sort of half, half a metre too deep for the free kick. It played about four Everton players onside, and if mm-hmm. he had actually been in line with the rest of his defence, um, being brave and, and sort of stepping up with them, then uh, then perhaps it would have been offside and, and they wouldn't have equalised in, in the last minute. So mm-hmm. um, I'm going to go with him. And the last one I'm going to go with is Chilwell. Um, he's obviously been left out. Um, as a left wing back, which is the formation that we think England might stay, uh, play with as well, with, with mm. the wing backs. Um, he's been left out for Marcus Alonso, who, who has done quite well. Um, and Chilwell got his opportunity against Sheffield United on Sunday to start, and he got taken off quite early on in the second half for Marcus Alonso. So um, I think, I don't think he necessarily played badly. I just think um, Tuchel isn't really liking him in that position and therefore it'll be interesting to see how much game time he does get between now and the end of the season and if he doesn't get that game time then then Southgate's got a decision so he's a, he's a move down for me yeah I think uh, that's interesting that that potential slide in his season could coincide with Shaw's form being yeah. um, probably the best it's been since he was at Southampton yeah. Um, yeah. and him and he plays in that advanced kind of left wing back role well at least he definitely pushes up the field um, happily, yeah. you know yeah. what I mean, from that left-back position. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, as I said, or as you said, he doesn't he doesn't necessarily play left-wing back, but he's obviously high up, so he yeah, yeah, yeah. has to be in that position. But yeah, so they're, they're my movers and shakers, as, as you put it. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense, but it's, it's just a, just a nickname it. for it. I don't know, really. Provocative. 
Okay, gets the people going. And on that, our last feature, as always, is the listeners' questions. Um, so we ask, as we do every um, Sunday night, for our listeners to um, give us questions to answer at the end, at the end of the podcast. And as always, they have provided. Um, Nick, I believe you've got the first question for me from Ed. Yeah, this is from Ed uh, at EdTHFC. I wonder who Good man. he's a fan of. Yeah. Uh, where do you think Spurs would finish in a full season without Harry Kane? Yeah, so I can imagine this question has come up, uh, come about from obviously having to play a couple of games without Harry and uh, Spurs doing so poorly. Um, so if I'm honest, probably anywhere between sixth and ninth. <laughs> and that's a bit of a cop out. Um, but we're above Arsenal, <laughs> but still only like a Europa League outfit at best. Um, obviously, unlike Pep's regimented attacking patterns approach, Right. Mourinho encourages Spurs to be more instinctive in possession. That's how Mourinho has always encouraged his sides to be. So that's like, it's almost creative in that it's the spontaneous decisions of the players which shapes the attack, not like Pep's playbook to offer an example, right? Um, I'm, I'm getting, there is a point to this, right? Jose's uh, tactics have worked in the past when his teams have been littered with top, top players world-class defenders who can be on their toes for 90 minutes after being pummeled relentlessly by an attacking onslaught and world-class creative players who when their play is dictated by their own improvisation they can work their magic in those those clutch moments so like i said last week kane is spurs's primary creator on which the team's entire attacking thrust relies right without him um, jose is left depending on players who would probably more than likely benefit from a pep style system of coached routines and that's why we're a relatively average side when you combine Kane's absence with this instinct-led approach employed by Mourinho. Yeah, I think um, it's easy to say, oh, they'd be bottom half or 10th or whatever mm. without Kane because of how badly they've done without him this season under Mourinho. Um, but you would hope that, um, that that's just unfamiliarity of not having him. Uh, and and if, if he were to be injured for a whole season, let's say, or sold, then um, Mourinho would be able to come up with something else. Uh, although, obviously, I get your points. They'd be, they'd be able to come up with something else that can at least replace um, part of part of what you're missing. So, um, the re- I mean, let's be honest. The rest of your squad and team is good. Like you've got you've got some good players. So it's not like, although you however bad you played in those games without him or uncreative you were, you've still got some world class players. But my issue so, isn't the squad. Um, I actually think we've got a quite a healthy squad, uh, a, quite a deep squad. Um, but it's it's how Mourinho employs them. Um, his yeah, I, I agree. But my point is that he's he's doing that because he has Kane. Sure. Like if he didn't if he didn't have Kane, he would have to, he would be forced to come up with something longer term that would that would. But is that a better. sustainable solution um, when Kane's overplayed as he is and gets injured every Christmas as he does? Certainly not. Which is why he's struggling with that. There you go. Good question though. Um, very um, poignant at the moment. Um, Nick, I got one for you. Yeah. Um, from Joe W at Joe Three WPW, uh, which London club will finish the highest? Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, you, someone I think it was Ryan McSweeney asked for my top four and top six a few weeks ago, and and I was toying between Spurs and Leicester for the fourth, and then since then, obviously, Spurs have had a run of games where it hasn't been too great, and Chelsea mm-hmm. sacked Lampard, brought Tuchel in, and looked like they're um, on the up again. West Ham still sitting there and thereabouts as well. Um, 
Um, Chelsea have got some quite good fixtures coming up. And I think if they can get a run together where, I mean, anyone who puts four or five wins together is right back in it. Yeah. No matter where they are. Anyone Apart from being, probably Chasing look, City. Cause yeah. I feel like they've gone yeah, now. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Champions it's, League. Anyone below that for the Champions League, you, you're, you're yeah. right in there. If, if you're Agreed. winning four or five games on the bounce. And anyone from probably eighth or ninth, to be honest. Um, so I think, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm careful because Chelsea have got a tough February um, in and around the Champions League games and a really tough finish. I think the last four or five games are really tough. Mm-hmm. But before we start the Champions League and in, in March, we've got quite a good run. So I think I, I'm going to I'm gonna be a little bit biased and I'm going to go with Chelsea. I think we're looking we're looking pretty solid. Um, and then the attacks, the attacking side of things will come um, as, as we as he gets more familiar with the players. So I'm, I'm going to go with Chelsea, but um, it's it's basically a guess at this stage, isn't it? Yep. Like I said, anyone anyone who wins four games in a row is is straight back in it, as as we've done the last few games. So um, yeah, we've won three in a row, and suddenly we look like we're, we're right back in the race. But we could easily draw two in a row, and then you're back out again. So I think I think if, I know it's a question for you, but I'm going to chime in. Um, I think if Kane and Son, if you tell me Kane and Son stay fit for the rest of the season, then we we could be up there. Um, yeah. We could be Champions yeah. League, and yeah. maybe even handsomely. They're yeah. that they're that good, but um, there's there's yeah you can't there's no assurances that's that's going to happen, um, and it's probably most likely not going to happen. So <laughs> maybe you're right. <laughs> indeed, indeed, right. Uh, I've got one, another one for you. So this is from um, at Max Cristolo. Uh, he says, as James Will Prowse continues to score free kicks, who are your top three free kick takers of the Premier League era? So I was looking at the uh, Premier League all-time direct free kick uh, scorers. Right, mm. and these are just uh, how many direct free kicks they've scored, and also yeah. the mins per direct free kick goal. Okay, um, and just if you're looking purely at how many they've scored, the the top five: Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, Sebastian Larsson, Gianfranco Zola, Thierry Henry, David Beckham. Right, mm. um, but interestingly, number one in terms of the least minutes per direct free kick goal, it goes to uh, Lauren Robert. Oh, really? Yeah, it is indeed. Uh, 994 mm. minutes per free kick goal, direct free kick goal, whereas yeah. uh, Beckham was um, 1,198, which is still really low, by the way. He came in at number two. So that's why, yeah. that's how, you know, that shows you how good how David many, is. Yeah, considering how many he took. Um, yeah, that's that. Or, yeah, yeah, that's right, isn't it? Yeah, but then... Um, how many minutes he played, sorry. Maybe a better statistic to answer this question was uh, Premier League free kick conversions. Mm. Um what I've got here, though, is only since uh, 2003 to four, So that's not necessarily fair on Dave Beckham. But yeah. um, since 2003, um, the top three are Nalberto or no, Nobby. Let's go for Nobby. Yeah. Nob- <laughs> Nobby Solano, yeah. uh, Sebastian Larson, and James Ward-Prowse himself. So, um, yeah, I think my top three, however... Can't be purely st- uh, stats. You've got to look yeah. at the, the type of free kick they're scoring as well. The, the kind of free kick you remember as well. You know, it's like yeah. um, you're you're playing, you're in the park, and you you mimic their free kick. For me, yeah, that's exactly. part that's part of this question. Um, and so it's David Beckham, my idol, um, Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, the knuckleball yeah. free kick, and I think I hate to say it, but Drogba's free kicks terrified me. I remember I, yeah. I sat behind one in the Carling Cup final in 2008 um but uh, we end up winning so it's all right in the end but uh for that reason i'm, I'm including drug in there as well so th- those are my three yeah it's interesting because they're all they're all different techniques as well 
Exactly. Yeah, you got obviously the Ronaldo's of knuckleball technique. Ironically, Ronaldo's free kicks seem to have got worse the, the, the further on his career have got. Like, uh, Man United in early, early Real Madrid. I mean, early Real Madrid, he almost scored every one he had. It was the one that you, for United against Portsmouth, where I think yeah, David James yeah. laughed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, 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 that was that was never seen before <laughs> in the Premier League in terms of that technique. Yeah, that was insane. Just, that was that was uh, innovative. And then Beckham's, as you say, is just iconic. Um, and and actually, his conversion rate was very high, considering how many he took as well. Yeah, um, which is which is pretty mental. And then yeah, Drogba was an interesting one because he for like a season or two he was absolutely deadly on free kicks. It was we like a side learned, foot, wasn't it? A yeah, side we actually foot learned it off of... Louise, right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who obviously he had a good spell um, for Chelsea taking free kicks, but since then again, another one who just sort of seems to have demise. Um, yeah, he took a few later on in his career in Chelsea and, and for Arsenal, just been awful. Um, but yeah, Drogba, yeah. That, that's, that's, a, that's a good one but I mean you can't obviously it's still early days but you can't you can't knock Ward Prowse I mean it almost feels like a penalty when he's running up for a free kick at the moment yep he's absolutely class so um, I agree yeah yeah that's good choices good choices and a good question um, Nick I've got one for you it's um, it's Jack again at the Tricky Reds um, should the EPL hire top foreign referees to officiate games given the misuse of VAR and shambolic refereeing this season <laughs> um so I'm going to say, um, what? Why not? Is 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 my is my answer? Um, is that we sh- yeah we should we should do if if that seem if that's right. What I would say is that we we shouldn't do it for the sake of it. First of all, um, if they're no better than than what we've got, then then what's the point? I mean, there I haven't got any cases to cite, but I know I know I've seen some really bad decisions in other countries mm-hmm. so I, and i know that sort of people in la liga and syria in, in um league and, and bundesliga have complained about the referee decisions at times as well mm-hmm. so i think this is sort of across the board issue rather than mm-hmm. just an england issue itself so I, I would say don't bring them in because ours are bad just to bring in foreign referees who, who are as bad or worse um but if there are ones out there who, who we think we can get and they would improve the officiating of our game absolutely why not um I think the issue has to be how do we improve the ones we've got short and longer term. I think longer term, you have to look at incentive and how much they're paid yep. in comparison to the players. I mean, it is madness that like, who would want to be a ref? I think I think there was a year when Howard Webb did every big game you could in your career. I think he ref the World Cup final, did all yep. the big cup games. Champions League finals, I think as well. Yeah, things like that. And I think he still only, was only paid, I say only, but he was only paid about £160,000 in that year for refereeing. Which yep. is just ridiculous. I mean, players were on twice that week. <laughs> well, like, there's money. There's enough money in the game. I don't know where it comes from, the club shipping or Premier League or the FA. But there's enough money in the game to warrant paying refs more. And mm-hmm. what that does, that gives you the incentive to be a ref. More right. than an incentive to be a ref. More people who know the game who think, yeah, I couldn't make it as a footballer, but I'm going to go in as a ref. Like people are doing now with coaching. People get to sort of 20 uh, or in the youth setup, maybe 18, I think I'm not making this, but I'm going to go in as, as a coach. They do that with refing instead. Um, so for me, I think, long story short, foreign refs, I'm not against it. Why not? But there's possibly better ways to look at improving the um, effectiveness and and the quality of our officiating in this country. Yeah, I mean, like it or not, football is a product and the Premier League will want or should want their product to be um, the best it can be. And we they allow clubs to spend millions on foreign talent to make the Premier League better. Let's not, you know, why not invest in uh, foreign referees if they are better than what we've got at home? 
in football we've got foreign people in in coaching in management in in playing yeah in 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 life we have foreign people expert doctors coming over and experts in different fields of, of um, different industries coming over to to work in this country because they're the best in their field so why not extend that to referees absolutely great answer so continuing on the refs and the var theme we've got mm. a question from scott duggins at dugs underscore oh six so he says thoughts on an nfl cricket style var system where offside is mandatory but uh look um, decisions like tackles and penalties um are only given on the request of a team so they get a certain amount of requests per game a little bit like tennis as well i suppose um, and if they get it right, essentially, if the referee agrees with their complaint, then they, they keep their number of reviews or, or the number of complaints. Yeah. And if the uh, if the referees disagree and continue with the on-field decision, then uh, then they lose it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I got it. Um, for me, the, the biggest issue of art is how it disrupts the natural flow of the game, right? The long pauses, the pitch side monitor. It's all so theatrical. And worst of all, how fans are now hesitant to celebrate goals, right? All these mm. All these things. Um, to answer Scott's question, my biggest worry about this type of challenge system being introduced in football, because we see it in, I think, tennis has, uh, has done this, um, and the NFL with their little yellow flags. Oh, no, I think it's a red flag if they challenge a decision in, in the NFL. Anyway, um, yeah, so my biggest worry about introducing this challenge system, it would be how it effectively allows VAR to become more and more part of the game. Um mm managers would have VAR challenge strategies. Uh, Teams would challenge nothing calls in order to waste time. In my opinion, we need to be looking at ways to minimize its footprint on the game whilst maintaining its ability to officiate, um, not introducing new ways of VAR to be imposed on our beloved sport. Yeah. Yeah. For me, the aim should be the maximum, uh, maximum number of correct decisions in a game with minimal interference. Yeah, I just don't want it to be um, uh, part of the game. I, I don't. Mm-hmm. Var, I want the VAR to be like a, a silent um, assistant because um, yeah. it also further um, alienates grassroots football. If you know, if, yeah. if the pro game um, continues to look, uh, you know, completely different. So Nicky, I got one for you, uh, Sean Morgan uh, at Sean Morgan, great at. Um, mm-hmm. What sort of platform should refs be made to explain their decisions to managers? Think post game debrief, you know, half hour after the game, a video call the next day, or or nothing like we have now. What do you think? It's, it's a tough one. I've I've always um, in the past I've always said our referees should come out and do an interview and explain why they've made certain decisions and stuff. Mm-hmm. And and actually I thought about that after seeing this question, and and I I've changed my opinion on that because one. Let's forget VAR for a minute, but one referees are human, so they are they are going to make mistakes, and they'll they have to make decisions on in split seconds yep. on what they think they see, and so I don't think it's fair to come out and say like, why did you give that one? And, and it might help if they go, look, that's what I saw at the time. It might be wrong. I'm not sure, but hands up, and that and that could humanise it a little bit and, and would help. Um, but I think where it wouldn't help is where we have VAR and they're coming out and they've they've had to do this in, on big decisions um, where they've had to come out and sort of state their rules that like they did it on the offside with Roger at Man City which we spoke about and they and they basically have to come out and explain themselves and because they're they're then on the back foot they they're, they're defensive so they retrofit a rule to explain their decision yeah and I think you'll find this more and more if, if you have to explain decisions particularly on VAR they, they, would, they would end up trying to defend themselves so much they just get themselves in a, in a muddle and it would just look ridiculous so for me Although the idea of asking the refs after the game might might humanise it a little bit, and and you might sort of say, yeah, actually, no, it is a tough job, fair play. 
I don't think there should be anything out in the open that, that really goes into the decisions. We just accept that some referees are going to make slight mistakes because it's part of the game. Um, I think I think where probably clubs deserve um, some sort of communication is maybe after the game, if they want to formally write or email the, the referee um, or the referees association to, to ask why a particular VAR decision was made after looking at it, then I think they deserve a response. But that response should be private and the club can then do what they want with that response. Um, but I don't think there should be any sort of, again, we don't want to make referees a big part of the game. We want them to be silent in what they do, and, and the game is the game. I was so going to say exactly the same that was, thing. That was to make the circus again, like like Scott's previous question. Yep, exactly that. Um, it just glamorizes officiating, and it should yeah. be the glamour of the sport. Yeah. The glamour of, sport, of the sport, rather, should mm. be with the ball on the pitch. Yeah. Um, yeah, not- Although playing devil's advocate, I suppose, I just mentioned a minute ago about making an incentive for referees to, or for people to want to be referees, mm. including money. If you put them on the TV screen and they're answering interviews, it's probably going to give quite a few people uh, an incentive to become referee because they're going to be in the spotlight. Probably the wrong type of people. You should end up getting uh, a whole officiating yeah, team of failed of actors, failed, failed actors <laughs> Mike Deans, effectively. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So maybe not the best idea. Okay, right. Last question. This is from Wing at rwing92x. Um he wants a brief discussion right. followed, a, followed by a performance from you, please. <laughs> and this is, what is your least favourite fan chant or song? Yeah, I mean, Nick, you go first. Well, I'll read out what um, Wings is first. So he, he, um, oh, right, yeah, hang on. Uh, his one is uh, the Arsenal. Oh, no, Arsenal. That's it. Arsenal. Arsenal. <laughs> he says, terrible chant, lacks creativity. Yeah. Which I, I agree with. I agree uh, with that. I'm not picking on Arsenal, it's just a bit of a crap chant, is it? But um, yeah. I, 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 I agree with that. What's your one? My, so mine, my one is the, um, and multiple clubs sing this, so this isn't a, this isn't Arsenal bashing, although they do sing it. Um, it's the one that's like, and it's Super Chelsea. <laughs> Super Chelsea FC. We're by far the greatest team. The world is ever so. <laughs> and the reason I hate that one so much, even when Chelsea sing it, is because one, no matter who you support, and you're singing that, you don't believe the lyrics. We're by far the greatest team the world has ever seen. I mean, that's some, <laughs> some shout, isn't it? I mean, come on. Like, whenever the stadium starts singing that around me, I always think, oh, come on, guys, let's be a bit realistic. Um, and two, the last bit, I mean, I actually listened to the uh, original song. I think it's called like the, the Wild Rovers or something like that. Okay. Um, earlier on today, the, the last bit of the song doesn't it doesn't fit like we were by far the greatest thing it's like you're rushing in these words into something that doesn't fit so <laughs> too many syllables me, yeah too many syllables for the tune it's droney as well so no i'm i'm out i'm out on that one um i'm interested to hear yours though right so this one's quite rude so if you if you're i don't know if you're listening to this in a in a, in a car with family members uh maybe maybe don't listen to this bit skip it or something or listen to it later okay i'm just gonna go jump straight in and then cool. explain it uh, explain the filth after the fact. <clears throat> okay. Celery, celery. If she don't come, I'll tickle her bum with a lump of celery. Right. That's a, a, a chant sung by Chelsea fans, right? Nick, explain yourself. Um, I should know this, <laughs> but I don't. Uh, so I can tell you. I've, I've, done, got, I've done my I've... research. I've got no explanation, so don't, yeah, fill it in, fill it in for me. I'm, I, for, for listeners who might think I'm a, I'm a plastic fan, I, I was born in 1991. I believe the history of this goes goes uh, goes beyond that. You'd so, be correct. Um, I, I actually don't know the history behind it, but it's a bit of fun, isn't it? It's good. I mean, I, I just just before you go into the detail and the boring part, 
Um, I went to watch uh, Chelsea in FA Cup uh, final Wembley um, a few years ago, and uh, we were walking sort of around the, the concourse outside the stadium, and there's like different levels. So there's people below you, people above you, and there was just celery flying everywhere. It was it was it was quite magnificent. So that, I like that for that reason. But go on, let's go. Well, according What's to the stories, story? right? So the celery tradition comes from a renowned Chelsea fan called Mickey. Greenaway, Greenaway. Uh, in the 1980s, a song would be sung called Ask Old Brown that um, went, ask old brown for tea and all the family. If he doesn't come, we'll tickle his bum with a lump of celery. All right. So it's obviously mutated into some sort of like sexual, uh, you know, innuendo driven filth yeah. um, uh, into uh, if she don't come, I'll tickle her bum. So... Yeah. <clears throat> Um, it's believed that Mickey would sing the song at games and it, and it became a Chelsea favourite. Over time, people began throwing the vegetable onto the pitch. However, in 2002, four fans were arrested for, for celery throwing. Uh, and by 2007, it was banned officially. Um, this was after a game against Arsenal stopped as players were pelted with the food stuff. Um, <laughs> Cesc Fabregas um, was particularly riled when hit with a stalk while taking a corner. That. Um, although it's exiled at Stamford Bridge, people still bring the celery to away games, despite warnings from the police asking them to stop. Um, and it seems Chelsea fans just can't be kept from their beloved uh, their celery. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, no, it's, a good, it's, a, it's a good shout because it's mental. Um, but um, there's worse chance out there. Well, for me, it was more the grotesqueness of of said chant as opposed to like I don't know how many syllables it's got in it well it's a working man's sport isn't it so <laughs> you can expect some filth in there every now and then and on that uh filthy uh bombshell it is the end of uh episode four of the Wembley Way podcast I don't do you reckon this Brilliant. was quite a long one I don't know I reckon this was quite a uh probably still quite long probably still quite long yeah probably too long still but well. Okay, now uh, for our final word, please subscribe to our feed, um, whether that's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or Google Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review. We're seeing them come in now. Um, they really do help us as well. I mean, climbing those ram uh, rankings and uh, gaining some, those, those listeners. Uh, share us to your friends as well. Um, follow us on Twitter at The Wembley Way. And remember, finally, to check out our website for previous episodes and the latest England squad power rankings at thewembleyway.com. Uh, and that's it. I've been Tom. And I've been Nick. And we've been the Wembley Way. Celery! Shut up! Yeah! Chitty-chitty-chitty-chitty-chitty-chitty-chitty-chitty-chitty-chitty-chitty-chitty-chitty-chitty-chitty-chitty-chitty-chitty-chitty-chitty-chitty-chitty-chitty-chitty-chitty